You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Great to be back here, and if you have a Bible with you, and open to Jonah chapter 4, or you can read on the screen, or look on Facebook on your phone, and that was a joke. All right, if, and here's something else that you may need to know. Some of you are probably surprised at my different attire that I'm wearing, but last night I actually found out that I, we left our luggage in Memphis at another house that we stayed at on the way here. So I left it there. What week? Oh yeah, it wasn't we, it was me, Randy says. And, uh, but, uh, but Jared was so gracious to let me borrow some of his shoes. Although he said it was gonna be hard to fill them. But, uh, uh, but, but what he doesn't know is, uh, I also left the socks in Memphis. And so, if you know Jared, he'll probably donate these to our church. But, uh, but anyway, I told him I was going to do shoe jokes for about 20 minutes and then ask him if, if, if we were good on time. But, uh, but, but seriously, that helps me get over my feeling very anxious and nervous to be here, even though I shouldn't. But so let's go ahead and read in Jonah chapter four about a, a prophet named in the scriptures. God knows by name, just like he knows each of your names. Uh, but Jonah wasn't laughing. Jonah chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city. Made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. 
And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you are with us this morning. We don't want to go forward. We don't want to have been where we've already been without your presence. We ask now that, uh, Holy Spirit, you would take what is said that is true, and you would convict us where we need to be convicted and comfort us where we need to be comforted. But we pray above all that you would conform us into the image of Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. I was in a church meeting once with some uh, fellow leaders, I guess you might say, that were not nearly as gracious as the elders and leaders here at Fellowship Paragold. And uh, we were sort of reviewing something that had happened in a church service. And, and one of the sort of ringleaders of the group began to just kind of get this litany of, of things that had happened. Uh, because he, he had thought in his mind that someone else had, had planned these things and really wanted to kind of stick it to them. And so he started to say, whoever planned this should be fired. Whoever planned this shouldn't be allowed to have anything to do with what goes on in this church. And what, and then it, it started a couple others to kind of come around him, you know, cause you know, this kind of ringleader voice kind of stirs up some others to his side. What they didn't realize is I was the one who had planned those things. And so I'm sitting there just kind of listening to them, kind of let me have it, but they didn't know it. And, and, I think they were trying to even get me on, on their side so that we could sort of target this particular person. And I just kind of had to sheepishly raise my hand and say, I was the one who did that. And, and then the dam was opened up on me. It was hard, but it was reality. And, and for the sake of this analogy, I, trust me, I'm not trying to make myself God at all. But, but I think for many of us, if, if not all of us in here, that's, that's kind of how we are in relationship with God quite often. Is we are talking about how bad our lives are, about how upset we are at this or that, but deep down, we are really angry at God. And you're just ticked off at Him, but you don't know where to go with it. You're afraid if I admit this, what will come next? You're ashamed that if I actually tell the truth about how dissatisfied and disappointed I am with what he's done in my life, in my marriage, with my family, with my job, with my ministry. What would that mean? You're afraid that like in that meeting, if you, if you just started to crack that door, it might open a dam that you couldn't control and you fear it would destroy you and your life and everyone around you. But the trick of the enemy is for us to be convinced that we actually can control that. That we can manage the truth of our emotions and the, and the pervasive environment it creates around us just because we don't talk about it. Angry spirits are contagious. So we deny it, 
At times, maybe we explode it when we're alone, but quite often it just trickles out into this shadow we carry with us. We wonder why we don't experience more joy or others don't experience more joy around us, and it's because we have not yet reconciled with God. And I'm saying that to those of you in here especially who have been reconciled to God through Christ as a Christian. Maybe the main lessons in the book of Jonah, many have said who have studied this book that are way smarter than me, are in Jonah chapter 4. I'm going to assume most of you know the details of this story, not go through all of it, but Jonah chapter 1, God calls Jonah to go and, and preach really the gospel, preach a message actually of repentance and kind of judgment on this wicked and evil city, Nineveh. And Jonah says, I'm not going to do it. And Jonah's not going to do it because as, as hardcore as we may think Old Testament is, the, the theme through the Old Testament is God is a God of grace. And every proclamation of judgment that he issues is just coupled with an invitation to repentance and welcome. And Jonah knows that. And he's like, I don't want to have anything to do with my enemies not getting what they deserve. And so he runs away. Maybe he's not even running away from the ministry as it were, but he's just going to go do it somewhere else where he don't have to listen to God. And that happens in a lot of ministries. And whether in the ministry or not, that happens in a lot of your lives. I'm going to go find another church. I'm going to go find another job. I'm going to go find another spouse. Just somewhere where I can pretend and not have to listen to God. Jonah chapter 2. We know Jonah gets thrown into the, into the waters. God sends this great fish. It looks like judgment, but again, in God's judgment, the instrument of his judgment becomes the instrument of his redemption. Jonah spat out onto the land, and now he is a new man, it seems. He's going to obey God. Story happens again. God calls Jonah to do it. This time, Jonah, he goes and does it, and revival breaks out in Nineveh. The city from, from its uh, lowest people, Jonah 3 says, to its highest officials repent. And we come to Jonah chapter 4. And this is actually part of the story maybe most, some of you never even heard before. This story doesn't end with a nice bow tied on it where it's happily ever after. This is what the Christian life looks like. You have this great big encounter with God and he does something great. And now just sort of the rest of your life, it's you and Cinderella walking off into the sunset. No, God is not just seeking to use us to bring about great moments of revival or reconciliation with the world. He is seeking to have a relationship with us that carries us throughout our lives, both for his glory and our good. We need to remember that when this story was read, it would have been read all the way through. It's very important for us to see this whole story of God that Jonah is placed within from Genesis to Revelation is really one of us having to reconcile what it means to be a human in this world with a God who says he is in control and also says he loves us and yet things feel so jacked up. We've been blaming God from the start. We've been angry with God from the start, from Eden into Israel's exile and into this book of Jonah we see today. But we're given an invitation in this chapter. We're given a call even that we must listen to our anger. We must listen with our anger. We must listen from our anger, especially our anger at God. So what does our anger reveal about our hearts? We see this in the first five verses here. 
The first thing we see is Jonah's exceedingly displeased demeanor before God. Notice verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. This word anger is used at least six times in this chapter. So we're not going to focus on the the grace aspect of it. We'll, we'll, We'll touch on that. But Jonah is angry. Why in the world would you be angry if you were God's instrument of bringing about one of the greatest revivals in the history of the world? You would think Jonah would be like, I'm the man. God just did this wonderful thing in my life and through me. There's only one thing. God used Jonah, but he didn't use Jonah how Jonah wanted to be used. I mean, God's at work in all of your lives. You can sit down today and give, you can list out your Thanksgiving list. And maybe some people have told you, you just need to count your blessings, brother or sister or whatever. And you can count those blessings, but, but you're angry at God. What it reveals is if you're like, yeah, 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 I know all that, but I wanted this. I wanted it this way at this time. This is why he is exceedingly displeased. But he's also disappointed, verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said was going to happen? That's why I left in the first place. I know how you are. I've got a great theology. No Exodus 34, backwards and forwards. You're a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster, blah, blah, blah. And the problem isn't whether you have your theology right or not in your head. It's whether, do you actually like God and love the God who's behind it when it doesn't go according to your plan? Some of you in here are the masters of the, I told you it would happen, mindset. You're probably wanting to look at somebody right now, right? Just the self-fulfilling prophet of doom. I knew this was going to happen. I'm one of them. My wife would point at me. She's like, "Go, it's well, it'll happen now that you said it. You know, it's just this view of life that it's like can somehow even warp one of the most gracious text in all of the Bible and turn it somehow in a negative light. Jonah doesn't like a God who doesn't play by his script of justice and grace. Jonah knows Exodus 34 where that verse, that quote is taken from, but Jonah doesn't like it when it's pointed at his enemies and when he doesn't get to wield the word of God as he wants to. And so Jonah's deeper issue here, verse 3 Really points us, therefore, now, O Lord, please take from me my life, for it is better to me to live, to die, than to live. He is really angry. And why is he so angry? It's because Jonah has this deep identity that's been tied up in his whole vocation. That is, his whole calling in life, his whole ministry. Is if you go back and read in the earlier books that give some of the history in the Old Testament, is Jonah was the guy who was saying... Israel is going to win and all of its enemies are just going to be wiped off the face of the earth. Right? Jonah would love that classic old gospel song that has, uh, my, my wife laughs at this, she didn't grow up in the same tradition I did, has an organ playing, Jesus is coming soon, many will meet their doom. You know, like, yeah, many will meet their doom. <laughs> yeah. 
Jonah would love that song. We're God's chosen people. Everybody else gets wiped out and we get exalted. And now God's did this thing where he saves all these wicked people that hated his people. Jonah would rather die. Notice, just let me die. Jonah would rather die than live in a world with a God like this. And so Jonah has here an inordinate, that is an out of whack, both anger and sadness. Anger and sadness aren't bad. Jesus was angry. Jesus was sad. But we see Jonah's is inordinate. It's out of whack. It's out of proportion. It's exaggerated. Because we see it, it, it's not a love that's filled with the great commands to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. He would have justified it till the cows came home. This is what you said, God. There was no love here. So notice verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city. Made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he he should see what would become of the city. This this is pretty amazing. You just got to get yourself into this story here. Jonah's having this sort of exchange with God. And Jonah goes and builds him this little... Just think of you plopping up your little... uh, tent your little booth here at a something puts him a chair down and he just sits with his arms crossed saying maybe he'll still wipe them out but i ain't moving till he does (laughs) this is it god i'm gonna sit here and you're gonna be the god that i told you you were supposed to be he's digging in He's still holding on to hope that God's going to wipe them out. It's as if he's saying, you can be that God, but I don't have to like it. Cassie and I uh, celebrated 15 years of marriage this year. And, uh, and after five or so, yeah, it's, this is really going to get super romantic. Just be ready. Uh, <laughs> After five or so, I don't even know where she's at in here. Raise your hand, Cass. Yeah, I see that hand in the back. Uh, uh, I remember her saying something. She's heard me say, I've said this before. I probably said it here. I remember her saying something to me. And this is when I really knew that Hallmark probably needed to contact her to help with cards. She said, you know, it's been a long time since I wished you were dead. And I deserve every bit of it. That'd be a longer story. I mean, she's, she's explaining this to me in this just sort of normal tone, like washing dishes. And I'm sitting over here like, like she's thinking, that's a compliment, right? And uh, it's because she's like, well, you're married to a pastor. It's a little trickier just to walk away from this stuff. So I was thinking in my head... You know, if, if you just died, you know, is have a great little funeral service and can move on with my life. That was fifth year anniversary. Uh, I, I, I say that, uh, and, I, and I genuinely deserved it, trust me. Much because I didn't know how to deal with my anger at God. 
but also uh, because if you've been in any relationship for any amount of time, particularly marriage, but not just that, you get to this point to where you're like, you're not the person I thought I was marrying. You know, I, I really didn't think you were going to be like this. When we were talking in those early days about what all it was going to be like and what we were going to do and, and all this, like, I wasn't envisioning this whole thing that is now called our life. I didn't think 15 years later we'd still be having the same argument over the same thing. And if you're honest, you kind of feel betrayed a little bit. Like, I've been betrayed. And sometimes that happens with God. When things in your life just come along and He doesn't play by your script, even though you're like Jonah and you had Exodus memorized maybe. When, when you see Him blessing your enemies or it appears to be He's blessing your enemies. When you see Him not just serving all of your agendas and your timelines. If you're honest, maybe sometimes you feel betrayed by God. God, you, you didn't do what I thought you were going to do. And you're mad. And you make yourself a booth and you sit and cross your arms and you say, I'll, I can stay here, but I don't have to like it. Or you walk away from the faith altogether. Or what many people do in the religious south is you just, you just stuff that stuff and you, begin, you become the most self-righteous, hypocritical Pharisee anybody's ever seen. Deep down, you've got this rage, and you've got to let it out somewhere, and so it's going to be now about rules. Our anger reveals, quite often, we, we have not really got real with God. So if the crossing, hopefully I hadn't said fellowship paragold this morning, I was really trying not to say that, uh, where the real, you, real Jesus meets the real you. It's like, our anger at God, this, this rage that dwells beneath the surface quite often of our lives is, is it's it's a sign that revealing you've you've not really told God the truth yet. About how you feel about him, about how you feel about your life. And some of you thought you were too spiritual to do that. And you need to go read the Psalms. <laughs> and you need to read the prophets. And you need to follow in the way of Jesus. Reveals you may not want the real him, though, because one of the things, I shared, I shared this with Adam or Jared or Chuck or somebody recently. One of the things that scares me to death about telling truth is I feel like then that would give God and others the permission to tell the truth, too. Get what I'm saying? It's so much easier for me to just keep all this stuff right here. I can manage it. If I speak it out to God or to others, then I'm trying to say, and now you can speak back into it. But once I open the door for God to actually be a real person in a real relationship with me, then guess what? I might be wrong about some stuff. Others might actually have some insight that will not allow me to live within my self-referential orbit 
that I've been living in that is a living hell, and yet it's the hell that I know, and I'd rather have the hell I know than the life that I'm yet to experience. And it reveals these, these things, whether you want to use the, the language of idolatry or a false identity. That sometimes we grieve just a brokenness in our life, but sometimes, like, like Jonah, we've seen a, a good desire. Israel's seeing the victory of God becomes an idolatrous demand that we have to have carried out in a particular way. And we say things to God like, without that, I have no desire to live. God, I'm your follower, but if you don't give me this, I quit. These things usually aren't the bad things, it's usually the good things. Jonah's was a good thing. So we say, well, isn't it righteous to be angry? It can be, but are you bitter? Because that ain't righteous. Are you distant? Are you detaching from people? Are you seething? Are you anxious? Some of you may just be downright mean to people sometimes. Does your anger lead to a more deeper passionate overflow of God's two great commands, loving Him and loving others? Because as long as that idol is there, that false identity, you're going to remain very defensive, very fragile, very stuck. If we listen to our anger, it will help us hear these things and see these things. Thank goodness that's not all we see. So our anger also reveals some things about God's heart. And we see this in verses 6 through 10. Just verses 6 through 8 again. I may just paraphrase some of this. So Jonah's sitting there. He's sulking. He's pouting. He's angry. He's saying, I'd just rather die. But if I'm alive, I'm not going to really live. I'm just going to sit here and stare off into the distance, watch traffic go by, and I hope some cars crash together. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. Isn't this just like God? That little bit of relief. Isn't it nice when everything's falling apart and just like every dog has his day, right? Thank you, God. You finally threw me a bone. And God's even gracious enough to do that. That's amazing, isn't it? I would want to just bring my holy divine right hand down and do that to Jonah and to me. But this is interesting. Notice it says Jonah was exceedingly glad. So he was exceedingly angry and displeased. Now he's exceedingly glad. If you live your life on an emotional roller coaster, welcome to Jonah. Welcome to God. He's not surprised to sit in the first time he's dealt with this. He's too glad now because when you're in this state, it's like all or nothing. You just start to, you're the middle of your life, the, the nuances, the, all of those things of the fruit of the Spirit that operate within just the mundane, ordinary life. Those things have become broken and it's all or nothing. And so God does this. And depending on your view of God, this may surprise you, but notice what happens next. But when dawn came out the next day, God appoints a worm to attack the plant so that it withers. Notice he appointed it the worm. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God, notice, appointed a scorching east wind. that The sun beat down on the head of Jonah that he was faint. 
Then he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. God sends this worm and God sends this wind. Again, to reveal Jonah's heart. He does this. God is, God is not this impersonal deity or God out here in the universe somewhere. He's very personal. He is interacting with you. And this is where it might get dicey for some of you. God, God is not... God's holiness does not take away the reality that God will provoke you. A holy provocation. Finally, a little shade... And God goes, and so what does good old Jonah do? Just kill me. I'd be better off dead. Everybody else would be better off if I was dead. Some of you have been there like, you get these ideas, like just the world would be better if I was just gone. Ask yourself, how is God graciously ticking you off? By revealing your life and your heart in the details of the everyday. What gives you an exaggerated sense of gladness? Or an exaggerated sense of sadness? But right here, what gives you this exaggerated sense of joy and delight? But it could be taken away that quickly. So verse 9, what does God do here in, in this story of his confrontation of Jonah? But God said to Jonah, again, he's going to talk a little more this time though. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah says, yes. First off, we see here, God is not afraid of our emotions, but God also is very willing to question them. He doesn't just say, well, that's just valid. He doesn't tell us to deny them or to suppress them, but if we're going to let them reveal what they need to reveal, He wants them to lead us to Him. How dare He? And Jonah answers, yes, this time. Yes, it is right for me to be this angry about this plant. You don't know how angry? Angry enough to die. Why? Those people didn't get what they deserved. Go read up on the history of Assyria. These wicked Ninevites had killed real families, women, and children in Israel. And God's just going to forgive them? They're late to the party. We've been... Me and my people have been serving you all of these years. We're a part of this great big story. And you're just going to weave them in here because they ask for forgiveness? They they need to have to pay this thing off somehow. And now I can't even get my dadgum shade to last. (laughs) This is what really gets us, isn't it? Some days you just feel like, this church is going to... Not this church. I'll just talk about ours. They know. They've heard me say all this stuff. This thing going to just fall apart. Think about your marriage. 
When you hear the most godliest people you thought you ever knew in your life, and you're like, well, found out they got a divorce. And in the middle of all that, your, do- your son gets some, his grandma buys him some LeBrons, steps in dog poop, and you're like, I'm just going to set them by the door overnight so that it'll dry up and then I can just knock it off in the morning. And then while you're sleeping, the neighbor's dog comes and steals one of the shoes. And of course, you go ask them about it, and they've never, it's as if they don't have dogs. While five are running around in your yard while they're talking. God, can we just not, can you just please help us keep two shoes? Then your, your car breaks down. And then the worst thing is you're just hungry for a snack and you go to the, the, the pantry and there's no freaking peanuts. I just wanted some peanuts. I'm trying to just get through life. And if you just give me some peanuts. Y'all are like, I'm, I hope y'all aren't as messed up as I am. And then you just watch this grown man melting down in one way or another. And it's obviously not just about the peanuts. <laughs> Jonah, we sat with Jonah, I'm justified in my exaggerated anger. And then God comes to us like He does to Jonah here, verses 10 and 11, with compassion. This is just amazing. God's compassion is scandalizing. I mean, at this point, again, we're thinking, some of us in here who hadn't figured out yet who we are in this story, we're thinking, God, just boot him. And he comes to him with grace. You pity this plant that you didn't create or grow? Just existed a day. If you pity that plant with that kind of limited relationship and history and investment, should I not pity Nineveh with more than 120,000 images of God that I created, grew in love, and I love the way it ends, and their cattle? (laughs) I mean, this this is crazy, isn't it? God's got grace for the cows. That ought to preach in Paragold. I mean, we're over here kicking the door over peanuts and God's grace is overflowing to to the most wicked place in the world and their cows. Jonah loves a plant more than he loves people because he loves his plan for his life more than he loves God's purpose and passion for the world. If you've ever been any, around anyone, whether it's an addiction to peanuts or an addiction to meth, uh, or any type, you, you, can, you find yourself in the middle of this sort of, this blind self-absorption that can't see anything outside of themselves. And we, all of us in here have been there in one way or another. And what God graciously does through these severe mercies and these gracious provocations is, is he's, he's not wanting to kill us. He's wanting to give us life now. 
He's wanting to, to open us up to a world that's so much bigger than the world that we're looking at in the mirror. He wants to engage us there. He wants Jonah to see what he's doing and he wants Jonah to be a part of that. And what's amazing here is not just God's grace to Nineveh, but for our purposes, especially this morning, it's grace to Jonah. First off, aren't we glad that God didn't give Jonah what he wished? Because my guess is a bunch of Gentiles in here. Bunch of the nations in here, but also aren't we really glad that God loved Jonah too? Are there are a bunch of Jonas in here. Sitting under our booths, pouting, sulking, mad. When God's actually accomplishing all that He promised He would, there's just one itty bitty detail that we've got to reckon with. We're not God and He is. And that's good. That's good. You may be thinking, well, it's good for Jonah, but is that good for me? And the question is, if you're in Jesus this morning, or if you're not in Jesus this morning, the compassion of God to angry fish shakers, arm cross powders, is yours in Christ. Isn't it amazing when we think of Jesus as the better Jonah? You want to talk about some enemies that didn't deserve to be forgiven. We could all just raise both hands in here this morning. And Jesus wasn't like, oh, are you serious, Father? I've kind of been waiting all eternity to see them get what they deserve so that me and you and the Holy Spirit can get on with our joy. (laughs) I mean, we've got it great here. We didn't really need them. Obviously, Jesus and the Father are completely unified in their plans. So give me the liberty to exaggerate there a little bit. But it's actually because of that unity we have this good news. Jesus gets really angry over division and death in the world, but he doesn't get angry over the hard role that God called him to play in the redeeming of it. He gets sad and weeps enough, but not sad enough to to take his life, but sad enough to give his life for us. Jesus' life is marked by great emotional pain, but it's not due to a a self-focused vision, but towards a vision of giving himself So that we could experience a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jesus didn't resent the grace of God for those who don't deserve it. But went to the cross and took on the justice that we and all deserve. So that we could be people who now can have a relationship with God. Not just a one time event. But a everyday relationship with God. Where you can boldly go before the throne of grace and say. God I'm ticked off. But I know you're there listening. And I know you love me. And I know all of my anger won't scare you away. Because all that all seeing my sin did was move you to send your son. And now to give me your spirit.
Eugene Peterson tells a, a story from when he was a, a kid, and there was a, a farmer that lived nearby him in Montana, and this farmer was this, this big, I think it was maybe from Norwegian descent, never smiled person, but he had like the best farm equipment. And as a kid, he was thinking, man, it'd really be awesome to ride up on that big tractor. And so one day he went to the edge of his field and he just stood there watching. You know how kids do and they're kind of like wanting you to say something to them? And he stood there and, and finally, he was kind of afraid if he sees me kind of on his property, he may run me off. But, you know, I just got to watch this. So curious. And here, here he comes and he, not- he notices the, the older man, Brother Storm was his name, notices Eugene. And it, as a kid, he said, I could just see him. He started waving his hands. You know, he's got that look on his face. And so he's like, oh, crap, I've been busted. And he, he gets up and just runs away. A little small town, everybody goes to church together. But this guy, he said, would always sit on the back row and just sort of, you know, be there. And he said, he, he, as they were leaving, he noticed a shadow coming behind him, kind of. And he, he looked, and there he was. And he said, Eugene, I waved at you yesterday. Why didn't you come over and let me give you a ride on my tractor? He said, I thought he was shooing me off. I was scared and I ran. I thought he was provoking me to get out of his way. I'm taking this a little farther, I thought he was saying, my field would be better without you here. But it was actually an invitation. Some of you have images of God because of experiences in your families or in your life. And the very things God is doing to draw you near to Him, you're turning and running. He's saying, come here. Taking that shade away from you is Him saying, come here. Taking that script you had for your life away is Him saying, come here. I'm glad you're here, but I want to give you something better. I don't want you to just stand at the edge of the field. I want you to come ride on the tractor with me. You didn't have a category for that kind of life. I've got categories for your life you don't even know yet. But you've got to trust me. You've got to come to me as in a, a book that uh, I think Adam recommended by David Benner, The Gift of Being Yourself. You've got to come to me in an undefended state. Some of you are coming, you're saying, well, I've been coming to God a long time. Yeah, but you're coming with your fist up. You want to ride on the tractor. You want things to get better and bigger than what you thought of. You've got to come with hands open. You've got to receive, as he says, the gift of God's love in an undefended state in the vulnerability of a just-as-I-am encounter. You've got to experience the stubborn love of God for you. And one way we do that is we listen to our anger, especially our anger at God. Father, thank you so much for this good news of the gospel.
Thank you for the stubborn love that you have for us that we see in your son, Jesus. That in the whole history of rebellion and suffering, that you never once gave up or quit on your people and your promises for them. And thank you, God, that although this chapter doesn't give us how Jonah responded, that you issue us now an invitation to uncross our hands, to come out of our resentment and bitterness towards you into your compassion and grace. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.